0: Part of it is COVID related, but a lot of it right now has been just a, a mass exodus from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, California, and the direct recipients of you know of that exodus and then of the inmigration for us is Florida and Texas, predominantly, and, and Florida more so.
1: You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser. Listen in as I interview leaders in our industry, getting their stories and their journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 251 of The Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, I get to talk to somebody who is doing some wonderful stuff right here in St. Pete. St. Petersburg, my new town, uh, and I'm very excited. John Barquette, Barquette Realty, has an incredible background, right? Not only the highest designation of appraisal, right? Mai. He also is a commercial broker and started a residential brokerage as well. Um, so he's got this great knowledge of what's happening in this market, uh, as well as just a great perspective on a lot of different things in our industry. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. John, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Bill. Uh, appreciate it very much. Good, good to be here.
1: Really excited! I mean, you have—I uh, love talking to local people on the podcast because this is where I live. This might be my forever home, uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of figure out what what's in the future. Because with your commercial and residential expertise, we're going to have some fun. But first, we got to start with where you grew up. I just—I love finding out about people. Right? What can I what can I find out about John? And as I did my research, Southern Massachusetts near Springfield, that's where you grew up. And uh, all I know about that area, because I grew up in San Diego, I couldn't be farther from you. But all I know is that the National Basketball Association has a, association has a Hall of Fame there. W- what else should I know about where you grew up? <laughs> uh,
0: well, thats I guess that's good research to start. Um, yes, I grew up in a town called Longmeadow, Massachusetts a population of uh, a whopping 15,000 that was incorporated in 1649. Um, It still has a town green. It's right on the Connecticut River Valley. We actually grew up right on the Connecticut border, and, you know, we were really surrounded by academia. So um, Amherst College, Smith College, UMass, Mount Holyoke, you know, the Seven Sisters, as they're called, are all there. And then we're equidistant from pretty much between Boston, New York, and Providence. So, um, you know, it was uh, it it was an interesting place to be, and almost growing up
1: like in a time warp. I've been back to Boston now, and on trips I've been through Massachusetts. So, you had those like graveyards where you do have tombstones that say sixteen hundred,
0: without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, You know, our history, our history classes were. You know, we were learning about you know the Native Americans and Tecumseh, and then you're literally you're you're going by those actual locations and places. The Revolutionary War—it's all happening in your backyard.
1: I think Massachusetts. So my first thought is you're going to be like a whole Boston fan, 17 championships in the last 15 years, all that stuff. But you—but sometimes people are a rebel and they go, you know what I. Everybody else was Boston. I went with the Yankees. Oh yeah, we were
0: we were a split household for sure. I will say, my my father was a season ticket holder with the Patriots when they used to play at Harvard Stadium before they built Foxborough. But that being said, you know my grandfather's and my father were Yankees fans. My father worked in downtown Hartford, Connecticut. We were lucky enough to be Hartford Whaler fans um, on the hockey side. So we really were a mixed bag, which meant that, you know, I always had an argument if I wanted one, because there is no shortage of, you know, people riding the bus and bandwagon as far as, uh, you know, Red Sox, Bruins and Patriots die hard. So it, it was a it was an oddity. I, I I will say that it's, you know, we live in an amazing, an amazing location. And a lot of people don't realize it didn't grow up in areas that are extremely competitive and where it's really, really hard to get get to a sporting event, just to, even to get a ticket, let alone to get a good seat at a sporting event, number one. And number two, you know, the, the Rays and the Lightning, you know, not only is it a really good fan experience, but they put out an amazing product. We really are blessed in, in that regard. And then, you know, not to rub salt in the wounds, it sounds like you're not a Patriots fan. At, at least, you know, the good thing is we've also got Brady and Gronk, and with the Super Bowl coming to Tampa. So I'm, I i could not be happier right now.
1: Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, you know, I'm a big football fan, big baseball fan as well. We worked in both sports and I, I think sometimes expectations a little bit high on what Brady and Gronk can do, but man, it's going to be fun until reality gets, <laughs> gets here. We'll see how Absolutely agreed. You end up going to school in Massachusetts. Were you thinking about real estate already? I mean, I always wonder because so many people, this is a second career, sometimes third, you know. Yeah, that. no,
0: with absolutely without a doubt. I was actually exposed to real estate at a young age. My father was the chief appraiser for HUD and FHA, building affordable low-income housing across the Northeast, basically. And when Reagan was downsizing government and offering early out, my father took Uh, took his retirement after 28 years of service, including his military time, and then started his own real estate appraisal company. So I used to work for my father, um, Summers, as basically an appraiser intern when I was in high school. And that's back in the day before uh, computers, before fax machines, where you would have to go to the property appraiser's office And you would literally have to pull physical property record cards. You would go to the counter. You would take your pen and fill out a form and give them the property addresses. And it used to be that you could only pull three cards per day. Well, when you appraise a property, you know, you you could need five, five properties just to appraise, you know, one piece of real estate. So I took my father a little while. He's like, "How are you getting so much done?" He couldn't figure. He couldn't figure it out. And I, what I was doing was taking my friends with me and buying them lunch, so that they could all help me pull property record counts down at the cop, the property appraiser's office. But I, I really, I, I had an idea. I, I liked, I liked the flexibility of it. And then on the commercial side, I, I really like the fact that you are getting to see how people make a living. You know, you, you get to see a lot, but it is a profession that. Typically, and even more so on the analytical side, people don't really, they, they kind of stumble into it after the fact, maybe working in another line of work, and then they get into it. I actually, I'm second generation and was brought into it at a really young age.
1: Let's talk about your grad work in the city. First of all, just living there has got to be an, a, an amazing experience, um, but you stayed for a while. Let's talk about, first of all, what your fo- area of focus was at school, and then what did you do afterwards?
0: Yeah, I think, um, well, like I said, I did uh, in undergrad, I went to undergrad and studied business management because I knew I wanted to run my own business first and foremost. And those were skills okay. that, that were going to transfer over into anything that I did. Immediately upon graduation, I already knew that I wanted to go to NYU and get, a, get into their program. I wasn't accepted immediately when I left. I packed up everything I owned. Uh, three weeks after I graduated from Western New England College and moved to New York City, and affiliated myself with a member of the appraisal institute because I knew that I wanted to get the highest designation that I could get in that profession and then I applied to uh, I applied to New York University's program in real estate valuation and analysis so that's what got me there I was working probably 60 hours a week and going through NYU's program nights and finished that program in about 3 years but I stayed in New York for for 9 and being in New York City in the early '90s, in your 20s, I would I would not trade that experience for anything. It was spectacular.
1: Yeah, yeah. Where, where did you, I? Always curious. Where would you live?
0: God, where didn't I? I puddle jumped. I, I lived in uh, I lived in Brooklyn before it was really cool and hip. It was actually it could be uh, described as a scary place, but it was an amazing experience. And then I puddle jumped over Manhattan and lived in Hoboken for two years. And then the rest of my nine years, I was right in the East Village on 12th Street and 3rd Avenue, right next to the original Kiehl's and two blocks away from my favorite farmer's market in Union Square.
1: Wow. That's great. I, yeah, I've been there um, a handful of times and it's just an amazing place. I couldn't imagine living there. It's I, I just it's a whole different world, especially when you grew up in a suburb in Southern California. Oh my God,
0: yeah. No, Cal- I, I was lucky enough to also experience, I, I had an opportunity Nine years into my run, I had attained my national designation, and I had an opportunity to totally switch gears and go out to the West Coast. And I did live in the Bay Area for two years, and that it is—it's magical. Um, but growing—you know—growing up in the Northeast, it's a completely different pace and mindset. Um, and I absolutely—I love St. Pete. I mean, I—I I really feel like I'm—I'm I'm in the absolute right right place for myself and my family. And I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere on the planet at this point. I'm 21 years now in St. Pete.
1: So let's continue down that path. Yeah. How do you get to St. Pete? What was that decision? What's it like? You had a family, I think, at the time when you made that move? I, I did.
0: I was I was starting a family. I was engaged in, uh, living in Marin. So I was in Sausalito and engaged. And my parents had had relocated here from Massachusetts prior. So Um, My parents had been here for four years and I really wanted, you know, my children to grow up having the experience of being close to their grandparents. I I, I'm 100 percent Lebanese. I, I grew up in a two family home with my grandparents on the second floor. And, you know, some of my fondest memories as a kid are running up the back stairs. And, you know, my grandmother cooking um, and letting me taste the taste the food and help her season it before the rest of the family got to eat. Um, <laughs> so I really wanted to expose, uh, you know, have my family be close to my parents if I could.
1: Yeah, that's great. So you you get here, um, you start your own company, correct? That, that is correct. I, I
0: started I started on the analytical side of the house and uh, within a year, uh, we were operational with property valuation specialists out of the Green Richmond Arcade Building, which is west of the State Theater on Central Avenue. Wow.
1: that's you know I live up two blocks from Central, so it's, it's always nice. fun to... The history of that street, we could have a whole another episode just to talk about some of those buildings, which would be spectacular. Our primary audience is realtors. And I have an appraiser for the very first time on the podcast. <laughs> I want to talk about, first of all, Sometimes y- you get yelled at <laughs> and sometimes, you know, people get upset and some- sometimes they're probably super happy, but talk about, you know, just, th- you have to be this neutral third party. I mean, lenders depend on you right. to be accurate. Um, I would, I would think, you know, hopefully consumers and, and agents would think the same way <laughs> that you want to be accurate, but let's talk about that
0: dynamic. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I wear, I wear both hats. I'm a, I'm a broker. Um, and we do also, you know, we, we assist clients with selling and buying residential property as well as commercial, but we also on the analytical side, uh, assist lenders, uh, attorneys, CPAs on the valuation side. And I'm also an expert witness both in district and federal court. So you, you know, yes, you are third party and you do need to be non-biased. I will say that Wearing a broker's hat as well as being an appraiser helps me. It helps him be a better appraiser, I will say, because there's a lot of, especially on the residential side of the house right now, you know, there's a lot of disgruntled agents in the market at this particular moment dealing with appraisals that are coming in. And I'm not talking about $5,000, I'm talking about like a $30,000 swing on an FHA, you know, on an FHA loan and it's, you know, it's an actual, it's a deal killer. And the unfortunate part of it is, you know, sometimes it can be navigated, you can catch it on the front end. I always tell my residential agents that they absolutely, you know, come to the valuation side of the house, talk to our in-house residential appraisers, get your comps, because comps aren't, comps aren't just data, black and white data that you pull from the county property appraiser's office and, hey, this is my price per square foot and this is where I should be. There's a whole verification process. There's a story with every sale. And unfortunately, a lot of the residential appraisal work is being doled out by these large-scale appraisal management companies or AMCs and we have I, I'm seeing it like every week I'm getting calls we're doing we get a lot of work just from doing second appraisals that are called for because the appraiser that was called in has a geographic competency issue, which is huge. You really, really need to know your market and have your finger on the pulse as an appraiser You or you're doing a disservice. And a lot of people that are coming in, unfortunately, that are doing some of this residential appraisal work you know, may not be qualified from a geographical perspective. And then I always also, you know, tell my agents that they need to be at the appraisal at at the appraisal inspection when the appraiser comes into the home on the residential side of the house and they need to be presenting data. And it's not, you know, they're not forcing anybody to do anything, but they're saying, Hey, this is the data that we utilize to come up with this list price Here's why we used it. Here's what we know about these sales that we found out from verification. Here's that contact information. Please do your homework. You know, please do your work. We're not trying to to you know unnecessarily influence you in any direction. This is why we feel this is market. And I feel that unfortunately it, that doesn't always happen. And then it's a big shock to everybody when the appraisal comes in, you know, twenty thirty thousand dollars below contracts.
1: What would you say to an agent who's um, thinking about meeting the appraiser, but doesn't know how to handle that interaction? There's got to be some, look, there's got to be some, the right way and the wrong way.
0: Appraisers don't mind getting data. Honestly, we are, um, you know, we're data fanatics. So the more the merrier for for me, it's a little different for me or or my agents in my brokerage at Barquette Realty, because... They, they're able to leverage in-house valuation services. So they, they, the appraisers already know that the comps have been selected by an actual licensed appraiser or in some instances, an MAI. So they're going to have to think long and hard about discrediting those sales or not utilizing those sales and or listings that become sales. But I would say to agents that you really should take a couple classes on appraisal to understand it because education is empowering. And, you know, it's one thing to just say, well, I can test the value, but it's another thing to be able to speak the language. And it's it's not rocket science. It really is, it's, it's some simple methodology, but understanding how an appraiser makes adjustments in the residential world is, a, is an excellent tool for a realtor to really be able to assist their clients. And then have an affiliation with an appraiser. You know, if you don't, if you don't have appraisal services in your brokerage, which is an extreme rarity, but to have, make affiliate with somebody and see if you can't start to pick up those skills in some way, shape, or form, because it'll really help, especially in a market like today.
1: Yeah, you talk about unique. Let's talk about Barquette Realty. Um, first of all, you have an appraisal business going. I imagine things are good. And you decide you want to be a broker.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Take me a through whole that. bunch of reasons. Uh, I started I started in sales, real estate sales back in New York City 30, 30 years ago. But I I really didn't have the desire to open the brokerage until being here in St. Pete. And probably after about six or seven years, a lot of my clients were really, really pushing me to, to to get into the business because they absolutely already relied on my opinions from a value perspective or my modeling capabilities for future returns, but they wanted a, they wanted a more full-service boutique shop. So we started to do the research and take a look at, at what brokerages were out there that had valuation services, and they really... Didn't exist. the The only ones really that do are the you know the major institutional Cushman's, um, but they're not necessarily working with the properties that we like to work with. You know, we we really kind of pride ourselves on building districts. So it it morphed into you know the transactional side, and and then. From there, on the transactional side, as the market got really, really competitive, on the investment front, you know, I have some some really amazing clients who love the returns that we get doing what I do for myself personally, which is like adaptive reuse of older, re- you know, commercial buildings, potentially with with residential on top and the only way to do that was also to then by proxy build a beta golf property management so what we've what we've developed over time is a full service residential and commercial boutique brokerage that that started with a firm footing in in valuation and analytics
1: yeah you you are so far away and I, i'm not going to mention any you know co- Companies, but you know the dreaded resumercial agent <laughs> that kind of hangs out out there. Yeah, you were trying to solve for that and not be that, right?
0: Well, that, that's that's correct. I mean, you, you you need to do what you what you do well, but you can build. You know, you can I could build the firm knowing what the down, you know, knowing what those downfalls are and playing to what my playing to what my clients really need. We do have a lot of crossover clients. I I do have a lot of clients that play, you know, in both the commercial space and the residential space. And they, and they wanted to keep the relationship here with Barquette. So we've now, you know, surrounded ourselves with some amazing residential agents and technology. and, And we, constantly are going through that process to, you know, continue to better our services. And when I build the brokerage, yes, it's for the clients, but I'm also, you know, have a keen eye on what am I putting out there and what are we providing that's above and beyond for the agents? Because you also need to be able to, you know, to to get agents to want to be a part of your team. I've been blessed. I've, I've been here for 20 years. I've got agents that are crossover agents that have been trained that are now licensed certified general appraisers and they are now licensed, licensed agents. And they are absolutely phenomenal for, for my clients to be able to have that resource at their fingertips. It just doesn't, it doesn't really exist out there. And my clients know as does the market now know that when my clients put offering memorandum out and they look at a pro forma they know that the numbers are based on reality so we're not wasting anybody's time and that that's it's all about time right now especially in the market today
1: yeah yeah you mentioned adaptive reuse let's start with your building (laughs) (laughs) Uh, wonderful space i love what you do thank
0: you very much our our building is at 615 9th street north or mlk north here right next to, uh, in between Banyan Coffee, what was Banyan Coffee, which is now Uptown Eats, which is opening next week, and um, we're super excited, and uh, Nova 535 to the south. This building is a two-story, it was a two-story dilapidated building. It was probably the biggest dive bar in St. Pete. It used to be called Molly's, um, which is probably before your time, Bill, but after that it was called Game Bar. And it was equally not so nice. Um, it was stale beer, cigarette smoke, and people cashing their disability checks at the beginning of the month. And by the end of the month, unfortunately, yeah, it was not pretty. We absolutely gut renovated the building and built a built a gorgeous brokerage out of the thirty six hundred square feet on the ground floor, and then renovated four loft apartments on the second floor. And we actually, uh, 2019, we won the adaptive reuse award by uh, Preserve the bird, which was which was really yeah, awesome. awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful space. Thank Anyone you. listening locally, yeah, swing on by, stop in, say hi. Please. it's it's a great place. Yeah, yeah. it's we built it. It's uh,
0: you know, we. I have I really gravitate towards agents that are influencers. I want my agents to be influencers in the community. So, and I'm not it's not specific. I'm not saying, Hey, just because you know, I do all this work with the chamber and other organizations, that doesn't mean that my agents need to be, although I provide that for them as a service and free membership to all my agents. But I, I just feel like, um, you have, you have to be, you have to be part of the solution.
1: Um, we're recording this episode in August of 2020, 2020. What an amazing, what an amazing year. And I, w- I want to get your take. I, I can tell you I mean, the things that I know uh, from the title side, mm-hmm. we have been busier <laughs> since May, May, June, and July. It is unbelievable yeah. how busy we are. It doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going to turn to you and say, what what, what are we seeing here? Now, I know inventory is going to be a massive issue here quickly. It already yeah. is. But let's give me your take on, on um, what we're seeing here in St. Pete and really a lot of places around the country.
0: Well, inventory is huge. We we have no supply. We we really don't. What we've been building in the downtown core has been a, a whole lot of luxury residential rental, but not a lot of condo stacks. Other than the one, uh, you know, and Coulter now is going is doing round two with Saltaire and that site. But we we really the water's just been building behind the dam, and I, part of it is. Covid related, but a lot of it right now has been just a a mass exodus from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, California, and the direct recipients of you know, of that exodus and then of the in-migration for us is Florida and Texas, predominantly and and Florida more so. And if you look at, You know, all the things that we have to offer in quality of life and having lived in New York and having lived in California, these are areas where, unfortunately, you know, these people are just sick and tired of being overtaxed. Uh, And there's there's a whole bunch of factors that that also go into it. But that's one of the main ones. And it just came out in a press release this morning with, you know, with the founder of the Red Apple Group that's building the 41 story tower you know, the, the the thrust of the story was he really feels that he's going to sell the bulk of his units to people from New York and New England. And, and I don't doubt it for a minute. Now I'm seeing it even more so that the beaches are, are as tight as they've ever been right now. And there's no, there's really no new product to speak of. And it's, it's not going to get any better that I can see, you know, in the, in the short term. And there's no shortage of money, cash, even not non finance deals. There's no shortage of people that want to put their, you know, put their stake in the ground, whether they're going to move here right now or not and get that house that, you know, they can eventually put their boat in the backyard or get their toes on the sand in a condo. And, you know, couple that with absolute historic lows in interest rates and loan, and loan product, and it's like a perfect storm right now. And that's, that's really what we're seeing is that, it, and we've got people in their late 20s that have never owned a house, that have always been renters. They finally feel like it's not, they may not come right out and say it's a buyer's market, but they finally feel like it's not necessarily a seller's market and that it's time for them to buy. And we've placed a lot of clients that way into some really great homes here in downtown St.
1: Pete. Pinellas County just by and large there's not a whole lot of places left to develop right I mean we're kind of done but but there's like Pasco they're killing it I mean there's a it's amazing stuff happening up north but for for Pinellas there is one big giant piece of land that I think everybody's looking forward to 2027 and beyond um, can you talk a little bit about the the whole trop and the-
0: I can I'd say there's two there's two large swaths of land that we have right now in the downtown core with different challenges, but they are absolutely amazing opportunities. I just, just had as, I probably have one, at least one or not, if not two zoom calls a week (laughs) in relation to the drop site. Now that the RFP uh, has gone out by the city. I mean, this is a once in a lifetime Tropicana field redevelopment site. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity for the city to really get it right. And, you know, design, an amazing mixed use facility. And, and they've got a whole bunch of wish you know items on their wish list, convention center, which we really which we need something in that regard. Hotels are starting to come, but hotel space, office space for sure, having a park component on Booker Creek, but you know right now that's 2027 from, from the raise timetable perspective. And the question right now. Still is, is it going to be 86 acres that we redevelop or is it going to be 56 acres that gets redeveloped? And then the remainder, the Northeast quadrant would be, you know, the Northeast quadrant would then be the the park, the, the new home of the Rays and figuring out. You know, what do we do with structured parking if there is if if the rays do stay because that's kind of that's part of the quandary with the way that the agreement with the rays is written as to what they have the rights to, and it also has to do with how many parking spaces they have now and what you give them in return and what they get for you know for the development rights moving forward. But it, it it's an absolute once in a lifetime opportunity. And the city's been doing a great job as of late in listening. To everybody, to listening to the business owners, to listening to the developers, to listening to our residents, our sh- you know, our shopkeepers, you know, in that regard, and to how it, how it transforms the trop site, and it's still evolving. But I think some of the great things are going to be, you know, some of the subtle things are going to be the the extension of the grid pattern, the the, the dropping of one seventy five to you know to include the Campbell Park to the south. And to include Midtown, I mean, we really need to do a better job traffic-wise. We're, we're doing national traffic studies now on 8th and 9th Streets North to change directional traffic from one-way to two-way, and the same with 3rd and 4th, because what, what it's doing right now is it, it's stopping growth southbound. Um, and we really, you know, that's something that that also needs to be addressed, because that area before it was Tropicana Field and gobbled up was it was a large vibrant African-American community in St. Pete and it's all you know it all needs to be taken into consideration this needs to be you know it needs to be something that's developed for everybody
1: yeah it's it's really going to be uh, fun to to watch that whole process I mean for me just seeing one go up we we moved here one was it ten stories right <laughs> and then watched it go up. And just recently, the new pier, I never saw anything but a whole bunch of pilings when I was here at the beginning, but to watch that thing be built, uh, it's been some amazing things that are happening here. So, Right.
0: Well, there's no there's no shortage of institutional development interest in our market. You know, the, the pandemic has not slowed down the big boys from wanting to be here in St. Pete, and for good reason. It's a, It's an amazing development climate, the, they don't see a slowdown in the demand. If if anything, it's a matter of again the city listening. And when I, when I say the city's listening, I mean that they're we've got our twenty our twenty fifty plan um, that will be voted on. A lot of the changes to the land development code will be voted on within the next year and a half. And that's huge. That's our roadmap, and that's how we that's how we control you know control development and growth. And that's going to be what our city looks like twenty years from now. So it's got to be done right. One of the things they they did within the TROP site when they tweaked DCC and DC1 zoning in and around the downtown core to start dealing with uh, potentially loosening parking requirements, as an example, for apartment units that are smaller than 750 square feet or saying, okay, Mr. Developer, if you build office space greater than 25,000 square feet in either of those zones, any square footage above that twenty-five thousand square feet does not count towards your floor area ratio, which is your development envelope. It's what you can build, um, either as of right or streamlined. And then what they did that was really really smart was they looked at the drop site and said, "We're already making these tweaks. Let's not wait. Let's get ahead of the game." And they went back in and said, "Okay, we're going to change the as of right height in that area from one hundred and twenty-five feet to three hundred feet." And if you want to go to a streamlined FAR process, which there's there's things, certain things that you need to do to get there, then we will allow you to go to 375 feet. That's 30, you know, basically wow. 37 stories. That that's, that's a huge change from 125 because at the previous height allowances, it was 125 feet as of right and 150 feet streamlined. So if, if you don't understand necessarily the FAR concept, I don't mean to throw out acronyms, it means... It's floor area ratio. So if you have a lot that is, let's say it's a 10,000 square foot lot and you can build it as of right means you don't need any variance, any approval, any anything. Predominantly in those zones, your as of right FAR is a 3.0, which means you can build 30,000 square feet of building. If you go for a streamlined approval, you can bump that up to a five FAR, which means you could build a 50,000 square foot building. But then in my previous example, if 50,000 square feet is the biggest building that you can build, if I go in and I build, as long as I can park it within my box, if I build 26,000 square feet of office, that 26,000 square feet doesn't count towards the 50,000 square feet that I'm allowed to build. And that's a really, you know, it's something to understand when you start to hear people talk about FAR and streamlined process, we need office space. We haven't built a new office building in downtown St. Pete since like 1984. And I will say that Larry and Mac Feldman have done an amazing job of taking the class, what I would call class B in any other market offices and bring them up to as close as you can get to a class A office right while dealing with something that was built in 1984. So they put a lot of money into their buildings, you know, into their common areas and improving the amenities. But at the end of the day, we still got a bunch of class B buildings that are, that we look at in, in the greater market of Tampa Bay as class a. So if we are going to be able to sustain, you know, right now we've got just in and around the edge district as an example, because I've, I've been helping build the edge district for the last seven years, but in and around the edge district by us Going through adaptive reuse and making it really cool and hip and walkable, what we've done is we've also amassed land as a self-fulfilling prophecy to bring in vertical developers. Because we you can make it all cool, but it can't be people that are just driving in. It's gotta be walkable and it's gotta be local walkable. And you know, yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of the rub. So I just think you gotta keep an you gotta keep an eye on that because from a sustainability perspective, the people that want to live downtown and eat downtown they don't want to get in the car in the morning and have to drive to gateway or to tampa and then come back what they really want to do is live and work in the same area and then the question is post pandemic what is office space going to look like office isn't going to go away companies are going to continue to relocate here what you're going to see is that a lot of the really savvy multifamily developers are going to start, and we're already seeing it on a couple of large projects that we're working on that are on the west end of the Trop site. What you're going to see is more co-working lab space that's not open to the public, but it's up on a raised amenity deck. So you may like rent a two-bedroom apartment, and then as an amenity, you have the ability to pay a monthly fee and have a super cool WeWork space that's not open to the public, but it's just open to your your community, your building and and that's what you're going to see and and why i say that is that when rents are between $2.75 a foot a month and $3.25 a foot a month you don't want to have to pay for an extra bedroom just to use it as your office and you don't want to be in your house all day it's the same argument that people want to send their kids to school because you want to be you want to be social but you want to be safe so what is that delicate balance and i think that what we're going to see is you know we're still going to have companies that want 25,000 square foot floor plates of office of class a office space But they're also going to allow the flexibility of people to work from their home. And I think that developers in all verticals, meaning multifamily, office, they need to be cognizant of that and offer it up. And that's that's what we're going to see.
1: I love you breaking that down for us. One, we don't really have a lot of commercial people on the episode. Mm -hmm. So a lot of realtors, especially here locally in St. Pete, need to listen to that maybe two or three times just to kind of get a sense of what's coming. It's very
0: important. It it parlays over to residential. You're going to, you're going to start to see it in because we are on the cusp right now of, you know, condo development because it's been predominantly that that's the way our cycles go. You know, we start with the low hanging fruit and it's luxury multifamily and then we'll start to see more infill. Then we'll, we will see affordable, Um, which is a whole, that could be a whole nother two hour conversation about affordable workforce housing. But, but you're going to start to see this, a similar push on amenities, even into, even into the condo world, you know, which will, which will parlay into residential. And it's, it's what our people, it's what our buyers and sellers want to live near that, you know, the, the office is, you can't not take into consideration where somebody's going to work when you're
1: selling them a home. John, this has been great. I um, but I'm out of time. You know, I want to honor your time commitment. I had asked for half an hour, and uh, but I have to end it with the same question I've asked every single guest, um, and that is, if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started, what would it be?
0: I, I would say that our motto is turning transactions into relationships, and I would say live it. But I would also say you need to be an influencer you, you it's not just a process it's not about getting to the closing table you're creating long lasting relationships and you look at it as if you know you're going to be here forever and these are relationships that you're going to have forever but you also you need to be a part of your community and a part of the solution we, we live in a community that wants your input and your input makes change and you can see it I, i've I've spent the last two years working with the city to build a park down the street from our office on MLK between 4th and 5th Avenues North. And we've now gotten funded outside of the city budget with not a penny coming from the budget. We've got almost a half a million dollars and that starts in September. But if you're not a part of the process, you're, you're never going to get there. And also that, that knowledge is power. I mean, knowing what's happening when and where, is what's going to make you a better agent and be able to find the right location for your buyers and your and to market your your sellers' homes, you know, in a more productive manner. I just think it's yeah. it's something to live by. My agents all do it. We, we love it.
1: It's funny you you mentioned the uh, community aspect and how you can make a change. You can be a force of change. Uh, That's exactly what Stefan Swanpole said last week in episode two fifty. Nice. He brought that same topic up so I love the fact that you're just you guys are right on point together. Um, John, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to, uh, to to do that?
0: They first of all, we're at 615 9th Street North. Come on by and check out what we've done and what we've got here. It's it's really it's really unique and we're really proud of it. So, uh, yes, we are we are practicing CDC guidelines, but you know, everybody is more than welcome and you know, our website is barketrealty.com and they can feel free to call me. 727-510-7106. I'm available for people. If you have questions on the appraisal side, our appraisal company is Property Valuation Specialists. If you need management support, it's Beta Golf Property Management. And we're all here at Barquette Realty. So we're, we're here wearing a bunch of hats, you know, seven days a week. So if somebody needs us, feel free to reach out. We're all in this together.
1: John, thank you so much for your time. It's it really was a wonderful conversation. I mean, this is exactly the kind of stuff I need uh to to deliver locally. No, thank thank you for including us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com/re-sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to the com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released.